Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Thank you for that beautiful song. And by the way, we didn't even know Natalie could sing until about a year ago. And she sounds so awesome, right? So we just want to encourage you again, if you have this talent that you're just hiding, come and use it for the glory of God. So thank you so much, Natalia. Um, I'm going to read from Zechariah 4, 1 through 14. And if you're able to, please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand of all gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Hey, family, we, we have the great privilege of... Uh... Uh, hosting uh, Pastor Steve Bunyard. He's, he's our guest speaker this morning, and he's got an amazing ministry that I'm always excited to hear about, and, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to tell us about it, but he's been a great friend to us here at Journey, uh, was at Rolling Hills for a long time, and I'm sorry I'm stealing, but he wanted to introduce himself, but if we can give him a round of applause as we invite him up, uh, he's going to share with us this morning. Oh, thanks, Eli. It's great to be back with you. Mel and Mary, I didn't know you were sitting there. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I've been here a few times, but it's been a couple years since I've been here. I I think my last time here, according to my notes, was right before the pandemic started. I was here, but I remember my years so vividly serving with Pastor Jim at Rolling Hills Covenant Church and so enjoyed that. I hope he's enjoying retirement now and all of that, but I'm so excited to get to open the word with you here today and we're going to have communion here uh, at the end of this. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament today and uh, what was just read there is probably going to require a little bit of explanation, right, for, for most of us. But, you know, before we get there, I want to talk just a little bit about the concept of unity. 
You know, it's been such challenging times we've been living in here these last couple of years and, and uh, just a, a lot of issues that have come up that can bring a lot of tension into culture and, and even into the church. And we've had all the controversy about masks, should we require masks or not, and should we require vaccines or not, and should we meet in person or, or, or meet online or outside in a tent and all those kind of things and many, many more. And so that can lead to people uh, having different opinions and sometimes um, even divisions. And so I, I want to share with you this, though, that, that what true unity is true unity isn't everybody agreeing with everything that'll never happen uh, you're never going to get that there there is no church in america where everybody agrees on everything i don't know maybe this one is it, is it yeah maybe this one yep yep so and i see some heads going nope nope there's no family in america that agrees on everything is there there's no marriage in America where, where the two agree on everything, except you two, right? Yeah, <laughs> okay. So, but, but true unity is this. It's agreeing to not disagree, hurt the church. It's agreeing to not let disagreement hurt the church or your family or your marriage. And if you don't remember anything else I say today, I want you to remember what I'm about to say right now. You can disagree with someone 100% and still love them 100%. Wouldn't that be a great way to live your life? Wouldn't church be better, our lives be better? You can disagree with someone 100% and still love them 100%. Well, okay, well, we're going to go back to Zechariah chapter 4 now and uh, spend a little bit of time there. And uh, if you're like me and like most Christians, you spend most of your time in the New Testament, right? And, and that, that kind of makes sense. But don't forget that three-fourths of our Bible is the Old Testament. Three-fourths of it. So that's a lot of God's Word to ignore if we don't at least spend some time in there. So... Um, I felt led to talk about Zechariah 4 here this morning and this vision he was given of a couple olive trees and a lampstand. And Zechariah is one of what we call the minor prophets. There's 12 of them. They're all stacked together there right at the end of the Old Testament. If you don't know where Zechariah is, just go to Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, and go to the left two books and you'll find it, okay? Malachi and then Zechariah. So we call them minor prophets. Not because what they said is, is less important, but because they're shorter works compared to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, the ones we might call major prophets. And so Zechariah, we're at about 500 B.C. here now is the time frame we're in when he's writing this. And uh, he was given eight visions across this book that, that God led him to write. And uh, we're going to be looking at the fifth vision this, this morning, this one of the, the olive trees and the lampstands. He was a contemporary with the other prophet Haggai, which is right before Zechariah. The two of them, Haggai and Zechariah, were called upon by God to encourage the people to get back to rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed. So you might remember that about 1,000 B.C., 
Um, Solomon, King Solomon, built this glorious temple in Jerusalem to the Lord. And uh, then about 722 B.C., uh, the kingdom was divided. The 12 tribes couldn't get along with one another. There goes unity again. They couldn't get along, so the 10 tribes formed uh, the northern kingdom, and then the two in the south, Judah and Benjamin. Well, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and conquered the 10 in the north. And then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and conquered everybody, including the, the north and the south, and destroyed the temple. So that first temple was now in ruins. And then the Babylonians got conquered by the Persians, uh, but the Persians under King Cyrus allowed the Jews to go back to their homeland. So that's kind of where we're at now. The exiles are returning. Most of them have been in exile for 70 years, like Jeremiah prophesied they would. And they're coming back to a city that's been decimated. Walls are broken down, the temple's rubble, and they start trying to rebuild um, the temple and the city, but the surrounding people don't want it rebuilt either. They've got enemies all around them. And so it's stalled out. For 20 years now, it's been sitting there as a pile of rubble. And so Haggai and Zechariah are stepping up as prophets and encouraging them to get back to building the temple. And across this book of Zechariah, the Lord is going to bring both physical restoration to Israel and spiritual. The city's gonna get rebuilt, the temple's gonna get rebuilt, but more importantly, they're going to get rebuilt in the midst of all of this. And Paul talks about this as a future time, too, when at the end of the time of the Gentiles, God is going to turn his attention back to Israel. And Israel, one day, will be spiritually restored. They'll finally turn to the one they've been denying all these centuries, Jesus Christ. That'll be a miracle, won't it? One day, Israel will be a Christian nation. Can you imagine? God can do that. I want to just say a word real quickly about miracles too, if I could. You know, even Christians kind of struggle with the idea of miracles. And at the beginning of chapter 12 here in Zechariah, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read one verse, but it says, And the word of the Lord came concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. We're talking about the God here who can do all things, the God who created the universe, the billions of galaxies that are out there. God can restore Israel. He can restore us. God can do anything. But sometimes people get hung up on miracles, and I've heard even Christians try to rationalize, well, how, how, how could God part the Red Sea? And they come up with explanations like, well, if you're there at the right time of the year and the weather's just right, and there's this one stretch where the water's just low enough. They might have been able to walk across on the, on the sand. And God created the Red Sea. He can part it, right? God creates life. He can raise people from the dead. Those are, those are not hard things for God. Once you get past creation ex nihilo, that means creation from nothing. The Bible says God made everything that's visible from things that aren't visible. Once you get past that, everything else is easy. 
Parting the Red Sea is no big deal. God can do that. He can even turn Israel into a Christian nation one of these days. Now, there's a famous paradox that asks the question, what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? You ever heard of that one? What happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? Well, it's actually a false dilemma. That, that can't even occur. If there is really an immovable object, then there can't be an irresistible force, can there? And if there really is an irresistible force, there cannot be an immovable object. And God is the irresistible force in the universe. Nothing can stop God. Our Bible tells us that he's an all-consuming fire. And he's given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let's start off, and we're going to go verse by verse through this here. In verse 1, chapter 4, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who's awakened out of a sleep. So this is going to be the fifth time now he's getting a vision here. In verse 2, And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see, behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right, one on the left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Don't, don't you know what these are? I said, No, my Lord, I don't. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so what you see here, maybe I should have brought some kind of picture to kind of illustrate this, but you've got, you've got this lamp stand with seven branches coming off of it, seven lamps on here, a bowl on top of that filled with oil, and two olive trees constantly pouring oil into the bowl, and then it goes from the bowl into the seven lamps. So hopefully that kind of paints a little bit of a picture of what that looked like and the symbolism that we're going to unfold in, in all of this as well. And it's also, I think, good to remember Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. That's going to be an important point here as we go on a little bit further here. So let's talk about some people here that we don't talk about too often. We've got somebody here named Zerubbabel. So again, they've returned from exile. Zerubbabel is the governor. He's the civic leader of the Jewish people. Uh, Zechariah, of course, we've talked about, is the prophet. There's also a priest named Joshua. And uh, Zerubbabel is the one who's to oversee the rebuilding of the temple here. But you can imagine, this looks like an impossible task to them. They come back and this huge temple is just a pile of rocks. And they don't have any power. They're still under Persian rule, even though they're back in their homeland. The Persians still rule. The surrounding peoples hate them. It must feel like a, a hopeless situation to them. They had no power at all to speak of, but all they needed was the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. John Knox famously said that God in one person is a majority. That's all you need. 
One person in God, and you, you, you got it made. That's all it takes. Consider, you know, the story of Gideon. You remember that? So Gideon was one of the judges back in the book of Judges. And um, the enemies were coming, and God decides to raise up Gideon to deliver the nation from the, Indian, the uh, enemies, the Midianites. And, and Gideon says to the Lord, he goes, now you, you can't, you can't be right. I'm, my clan is the least of the clans and I'm the least in my clan. You know, you, you, I, I can't save Israel. And God says, no, you're the guy. You're the one I'm going to pick. And then you remember the story, Gideon had 32,000 soldiers. The Midianites are coming and God says, you know what, you've got too many soldiers. I don't want you to glory in yourself when, when I deliver victory. Send some of them home. 22,000 of them leave. Now he's down to 10,000. God says to Gideon, you still have too many. Send more home. He ends up with 300 soldiers. They're now outnumbered 450 to 1. 450 to 1. And God brings victory. God does really good with long odds. No matter what it is, God is good with long odds. And remember, God hasn't abandoned Israel here. They abandoned God. This was their history, right? They'd be faithful to God for a while, and they'd turn their back on God, and then everything would go wrong. He never abandoned them, but they sometimes abandoned him. So they're going to be rebuilding what is known as the second temple. And, uh, and Zerubbabel, like I said, will oversee that. And uh, it'll be completed here uh, four years after this vision. It'll be repeated. And if they'd only known when they were building this, this is the temple that Jesus will be walking in and teaching a few hundred years later. 500 years later, Jesus will be walking in this very temple in its courts and teaching. And now the, uh, the oil here, often in the Bible, represents the Holy Spirit. And so there's going to be this continued flow of the Holy Spirit, really into Zerubbabel and Joshua by, by God, this never-ending supply of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this miraculous task about to take place here. And don't forget that no matter what the world around us looks like, again, um, even our world now, but Jesus promised... He's going to build his church, didn't he? Christianity is declining in America. The percentage is getting lower, but it's exploding in other parts of the earth. You know, they estimate that 100,000 people a day come to faith in Christ. Did you know that? 100,000 a day coming to faith in Christ. Jesus says, I will build my church. So don't ever worry about that. He can do a miracle there just like he did here with the temple. What our world is, really, is what it looks like when you turn your back on God. That's, this is the world you get when you say no to God. So verse 7 here then says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone and shouts of grace to it. So this this task of rebuilding the temple seemed like a mountain to them. But God's going to flatten it. He's going to make it look like a plain. 
And Zerubbabel himself is going to set the final stone in place, the capstone, and then they're all going to rejoice and sing praises to God in this. So no matter what Jerusalem looked like, God was going to restore it. When things look hopeless in your life, look at God. Don't look at the odds. Look at God. When things look hopeless, look at Him. At times we can feel in our lives like everything's falling apart. Like our life is a pile of rubble. We can experience that as well. But do what King Jehoshaphat did in 2 Chronicles uh, 20. The enemies were coming again against the Israelites and he got down on his knees and he said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When things are falling apart, get on your knees and call out to God and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the whole earth. So you can imagine that it seemed like small times, small days to the Israelites. This glorious city no longer was there that they once had. The glorious temple, again, flattened. It seemed like a time of small days, but... God says, don't despise, don't despise small days. There are no insignificant days to God. There's no insignificant people to God. There's no, no insignificant person at all in the eyes of the Lord. And, and even though this temple, when it's rebuilt, won't seem as glorious as the first one, it'll be the house of God. Herod will seek to make it even prettier before Christ is born. He'll, he'll add on to the temple and make it more glorious, but... But oftentimes our lives can feel small as well, can't they? Can feel like you're not going anywhere, wondering what your purpose is in life. Look at other Christians around you and you wonder, wow, why, why aren't I like them? God seems to be using them in so much more powerful ways than, than he's using me. Or you look at your circumstances and wondering how your life turned out like this. And oftentimes we pray and ask God to change our circumstances, but sometimes God's using our circumstances to change us. God is working in our circumstances to bring about his ultimate goal in our life, which we're about to get to. But be careful to comparing yourself to others and Gosh, I could start comparing myself to Christians like, you know, Billy Graham and Charles Spurgeon, and pretty soon I think I'm not even Christian anymore uh, after looking at those folks. And, but these seven eyes that are being talked about here, these seven lamps, this lampstand, symbolizing God's complete vision over everything. He sees everything. He sees you. You have his full attention. Do you realize that? 
You have God's full attention on your life. Jesus said, not even a little bird falls to the ground without God seeing it. He says, how much more God is looking at you? I hope that will encourage you. Don't forget that. No matter what you're dealing with, what you're going through, God is watching. God is caring. And in the life of a believer, nothing got to you if it didn't go through him first. He had to allow it to happen to get to you. Everything in the believer's life is father-filtered. It had to get through him to get to you. I hope that will be, again, a source of encouragement for you. I think one of the real marks of maturity in a Christian life is embracing God's will for your life when it isn't the life you expected. Embracing God's will for your life when it isn't the life you expected. And don't be concerned about your life looking small. Um, I can think of so many wonderful people that nobody knows about. Missionaries serving out on the field, Mel and Mary will know all about this. Nobody knows them and they're in tough places and nobody's getting saved and everything's persecution and yet they're faithful. They're faithful to serve each and every day. They're not famous. Nobody's writing books about them. But you know what they're going to hear up there? Well done, good and faithful servant. And the same is true for us. Don't despise, don't despise small things, small days. God has a purpose wherever he's planted you, whatever gifting he's given you. Just be faithful in it. Whatever resources he's given you, just be faithful with them. That's all that you need to do. In verse 11... And I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. This is probably a reference to Zerubbabel and Joshua again, the two that God anointed to oversee the rebuilding of the house of God, the rebuilding of his temple. It's interesting, at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, God's going to raise up two witnesses during the seven-year tribulation period, two witnesses that are going to proclaim God's word and they're called olive trees. Two olive trees there, the two witnesses in Revelation. So we see a lot of times in Zechariah a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment of what's being written here. And these two symbols are just as important to us as it was to them, that, that you as a believer have God's spirit residing in you. Just like Zerubbabel did, just like Joshua did. It's the same Holy Spirit that worked in them that's working in you. You know, we live in a world where temples get destroyed, don't we? We live in a world where lives get destroyed. Where lives can end up looking like a pile of rubble. That's the world we live in. But take heart again. God is really good at picking up the pieces. 
and putting us back together. That was the line in one of the songs that Eli and Natalia were singing there, that he fixed me, he put me back together again. God is really good at that. And so this Holy Spirit that, that the oil represents here, God promises is in you. In fact, Paul says in, in Romans, he says the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The very same Spirit lives in you. And no matter what enemies are surrounding you, health problems, relationship problems, financial problems, whatever the enemies are, God can deliver you. He can restore you, just like he did the temple. And not by your might, not by your power, but by his spirit, he can restore you. But what does restoration look like? What does deliverance look like? You guys all remember the story in Mark chapter 2 where there was a paralytic inside a house and there were so many people coming to hear Jesus. Actually, he wasn't in the house yet. There were so many people. Jesus was in the house and so many people coming to hear him that they couldn't get in. The friends of the paralytic climbed up on the roof, dug a hole in the roof, lowered the paralytic down. Remember that? And Jesus sees the paralytic. He sees the faith of his friends up on the roof there and he looks at him and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, I imagine the people standing there thought, big deal, he still can't walk. But to Jesus, walking wasn't the problem, was it? His sins had separated him from God. That was the big problem. Not that his legs didn't move. And that's the same for all of us. That, that's mostly what God wants to deliver us from is being separated from his Father. Isaiah 59.2 says, your sins have separated you from God. You're in the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of his Son. You're on the wide road heading to destruction instead of the narrow road leading to eternal life. God wants to deliver you from that more than anything. More than anything. And God's ultimate goal in your life is to conform us into the image of his son, Romans 8.29. It isn't for us to be wealthy or famous or any of that stuff. It's to be conformed into the image of his son. As soon as you turn from your sins and turn to Christ, you're born again. And then God starts that work in you to restore you into the image you were meant to have all along. To make you look like what you were meant to look like all along, to look like his son. That's God's great goal in your life. And God is that irresistible force. Nothing can stop him in your life. He won't force that on you, but if you turn to him, then nothing can stop his work in your life. It's an irresistible force. No immovable objects. None whatsoever. And then God wants us to be lights. This lampstand was meant to be in the temple. It was meant to represent Israel being a light to the world. And in the same way, the New Testament calls us lights. 
Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine so that people will see your works and glorify God. Philippians 2 says, live as shining stars in a crooked and twisted generation. God wants us to be his lights everywhere we go. 2 Corinthians 2, he wants us to be the fragrance of Christ everywhere we go. That's the purpose of our lives, to be lights, to be the fragrance of Christ everywhere we go. That's our purpose. That's what God wants more than anything. Yes, he can work in your marriage and your finances and your health and all of that. But this irreversible, this irresistible force wants to move you more than anything toward the image of his son and toward heaven. And God remembers, Zechariah's name, the Lord remembers. He remembers his promises, all of them. Jesus says in John 6, every single person that God has given me will come to me. Every one. He says, I won't lose one. And he says, there's a book in heaven with your name in it. It's called the book of life. And God says, nobody can erase that. That's a promise from God. Nobody can erase your name. When you turn from your sins and turn to Christ, your name is there and it's there forever. And so God is leading all of our lives toward heaven. The road may be rougher for some than others. He doesn't promise us an easy life. The Apostle Paul lived a terrible life. All the apostles had horrific lives because of their faith. Jesus in Matthew 23 says Zechariah got killed right by the temple of all places. Right by the temple. Some will have a smoother road than others, but they're all heading in the same place. If your faith is in Christ, they're all headed toward heaven. And no matter how rough the road, God promises this, you will arrive safely. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to enjoy some communion here in a second. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement we get from this this morning. Father, thank you for your promises that... All things are possible with you. Just as you restored Israel, just as you've worked countless miracles, you you can handle anything in our lives. And remind us that when things look hard, when things look hopeless, remind us to look at you, the faithful one, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one. And remind us of our purpose in life, Lord, to bring glory to you in the way we live our lives, to be a light everywhere we go, to look like Christ, to be the fragrance of Christ everywhere we go. Help us to do that. We we can't do that on our own. We need your spirit within us. Help us to surrender to that, to the leading of your spirit. The world around us is so dark, Lord, and our purpose is to be light out there. 
And Father, thank you now for the time for us to come to communion here and to reflect even further on that wonderful name Jesus we sang about. And you shall call his name Jesus, the angel said to Joseph, because he will save his people from their sins. So Father, it's in great gratitude that we come before the table and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.